0: what's up guys welcome back to the west vi podcast this episode is sponsored by disruptive adventism disruptive adventism is a platform that encourages people to contribute to the changing of the fabric of adventism through conversation collaboration and content creation if you want to join in head over to disruptiveadventism.org
1: yeah of course we had our long-standing shows like faith for today Mm -hmm. and it is written Kind of an interesting thing is that we we as Adventists, at least in the past, the way past, like nineteen fifties, mm-hmm. were right on the cutting edge. Nineteen fifty one William Fagel decides to hey, I mean television's been out for two years. And he mm-hmm. says somebody should do a mm-hmm. television show and talk about things for God's kingdom and I'm gonna do it. And he named it Faith for Today and he had there was a little dramatic segment on every episode, a little drama. It wasn't very well acted, you know, but it was a little drama. And then he would, that would illustrate the point. And then he hmm. would talk. And this went national. So it was actually the first national Christian television show ever. Sure. And then it is written followed after that. We were also leaders in radio with Voice of Prophecy. So we were pretty, as a group of people, we were pretty, hey, here's some technology. We should use this. Mm-hmm but somewhere along the way, I don't know exactly where, probably in the 80s, we just kind of fell behind.
0: You've probably heard the saying that youth is wasted on the young. For me, there's no area of my life where that statement is more accurate than when it comes to learning. When I was in high school and, and just out of high school when I should have been going to college, I had no appreciation for education, for systematized learning uh, that's available through our school systems, and uh, definitely didn't uh, appreciate the university level of education. That's probably one of the areas that I regret the most, that I wasted that part of my life where I could have been taking more full advantage of the opportunities that would have been available to me before I had. A wife and a kid on the way and and life had just kind of come in if I had taken advantage of that youth. I think I would have been much better off for it. However, it's never too late to do something new and I did go to university and I did start getting this appreciation for learning and now I just love it. And to be completely honest with you, if I was independently wealthy, I would just go to school all the time. I would constantly be involved in some program of study and I just love it. I love having a framework presented to me that challenges me to learn new things, to stretch my mind, to to grow as a person. And especially graduate work, I'm finding the more I, I in, in, spend time in like my graduate program and uh, organizational leadership that I was a part of, and now learning about this Master's of Arts uh, in Cinema, Religion, and Worldview that Walla Walla offers – is just it's so amazing to me the the depth of knowledge and learning that is available to us as human beings uh at this point in history and so i'm really grateful that i'm getting these opportunities that this podcast is opening up for me one of those is is the ability to engage with people that i never would have been able to connect with outside of this podcast and so i'm excited about the next couple of weeks of content that's going to be coming out, I was invited to come to Walla Walla University to spend time with some of the faculty members of the communications department and the Center for Creative Ministry to talk with them and learn about their master's offering uh, in cinema, religion, and worldview. And so my guest today is Dr. Linnell Ellis. She's the program director for that program, and she just has a fascinating story that she's going to share with us about how she came to love film and got involved with broadcast uh, media and then decided that she wanted to spend her life sharing this passion through teaching with others. And so I had such a blast talking with her and I'm just so grateful that uh, I had this opportunity. I think that um, this is a really enlightening conversation. I love being able to just really talk through some of the challenges that I think we wrestle with as Christians. And people of faith, and how we should relate to the depiction of the world around us through media and film. And uh, she had some really challenging insights for me personally that I think uh, will be useful for you as you kind of process how we should be utilizing and relating to media and how it can be a great tool for the fulfillment of mission and our objectives as a church or really any organization at all. So, with that, We're going to turn it over to the conversation. Hope you'll love it. Talk to you on the other side.
1: When I was 13, we went to see Chariots of Fire, um, recommended by our British pastor, probably because it was a British story. And that film did something to my thinking on a couple of levels. It was a beautiful message that really spoke to me, even as a 13-year-old, or maybe especially as a 13-year-old, about standing up for your beliefs. I, I just really connected with that. Like, it is worth standing up for what you believe. And to I wanted to have that. I wanted to emulate that in my life, to be a person that really stood for God and his kingdom and didn't just let other people influence me some other direction. And so that was Powerful to me at 13. And also the film was just so beautifully made that I was totally wrapped up in it. It was art. And I had been exposed to a few other films and quite a a few probably. But that one uh, just did something for me that I I didn't let go of. Mm -hmm. I just remembered.
0: Yeah. So at what point did you decide like that? film that being involved in media production was like a a direction that you wanted to go with your life. Like from Mm -hmm. having these films that meant something to you to like getting involved with that as a career. What was that journey?
1: It took me a while because I think I would say that I was interested in media from really early on. We would listen to audio dramas like the Bible and living sound and your story hour. And those impacted me a lot from, I mean, little, little kid, probably age two on. And I would get out my cassette recorder and make radio shows. And and I had a little camera and I do slideshows and put audio with them. And there was just this love of that in me. We didn't have a television in our home because my dad said we were going to live real life, which I think was really cool. Actually, it helped a person have a mm-hmm. lot more imagination and creativity and yeah. it was a joyful way to grow up. Uh, but certainly we were exposed to we went to movies occasionally, and as a really special thing. And we were exposed to, you know, this drama, both audio and video. And I always liked it, I was really fascinated by it. But I had no idea why people were doing that, or that they were doing it for a career, I I wasn't thinking about that. So I got to college. And I thought I was going to be an education major and an art minor. And I started in my freshman year. And then toward the end of my freshman year, one of the senior girls on my hallway told me about the communication major and said, I think you would be really natural for this. And she started telling me that you could get this degree in communication with an emphasis in video production and audio production. And I, it was like a jaw-dropping sort of experience for me. Like, what? Hmm. People do that for a job? Yeah. And it just opened a whole new world to me really that i could take that interest that i had and actually possibly use that professionally so i switched my major and got right into it
0: yeah so once you switched your once you switched your major got into the into the field where did you kind of land what was that what was that path how did well how did you get from from okay, you did the degree. <laughs> yeah. Now you're now you're teaching it. There may be a lot there, but kind of what what's yeah, what what's kind of the trajectory between? from from that to now.
1: Well, let's just say that being a communication major is not the most secure major to have as an undergrad. Generally, okay, you got a lot of really good skills that everybody wants, but the job path isn't as clear as let's say I got a degree in nursing now I'm going to go be a nurse. Mm-hmm. So. There were lots of questions for me as I was approaching the end of my senior year. What am I going to do? Where will I go? I was praying about it a lot. You know, just asking God, what should I do? What are you going to open for me? Open something for me, please, because I don't want to just go make commercials for some company or I didn't want to do corporate video really. I I knew you could get jobs doing that, mm-hmm. but I I really wanted to do something that was more passionate for me. I wanted to do something, and I was saying this to God, I want to do something for you. I want to do something for your kingdom mm-hmm. with these tools I have. What can I do? And um, right at that time, 1990, uh, there was, here in Walla Walla Valley, this group of churches here was... Was purchasing a low power television station, and it went on the air April twenty nineteen ninety, the year I was graduating, and so they were looking for somebody to come run that station, and they hired me on a two year internship situation through the General Conference of Seventh Day Adventists, and so I just sort of landed there with nothing, no equipment, very just the training I had, you know, no experience, um, nobody to really mentor me directly in the work except for the great Board of Directors who were there mm-hmm. and very involved. And it was a total faith adventure for me as I mean, I was tw- barely 21 years old and just started working there. And that two-year internship turned into a full-time job, and I was there a total of 13 years. Um, station manager producing programming, hosting programs, <laughs> fundraising. I mean, it was wear every hat, you know. Yeah. So it was a great experience. I felt like a, it was a total answer to that prayer I had that I wanted to do something for God with these tools. And I grew a lot in that experience. And then, and then, uh, you know, got married, had kids. And when I was having, I had one baby that I took to work with me. And, um, then I was pregnant with twins and I just, I don't, I can't do this anymore. It's hard enough with one baby. I can't do it with three. So, um, had to, You know, I just had to resign from that. Went home to take care of kids. Started working on a master's degree online in communication Mm -hmm. um, and specifically communication in ministry through Spring Arbor University. It was a great program. Uh, Then started doing some adjunct teaching at Walla Walla. Then got a call to go to Southern Adventist University and teach in their School of Journalism and Communication, just mm-hmm. as I had finished my master's degree. I actually stopped at my graduation in Michigan on the way of while we were moving. Okay. So um, so was there six years teaching, and it, that was a great, great experience. Um, and then got a call to come to Walla Walla University, my alma mater, kind of come back home mm-hmm. and start... A master's degree in cinema, religion, and worldview, which is taking my passions and putting them together
0: yeah. you know, again. So you've kind of been involved in in the the video side of of the ministry of the church, really pretty close to the inception of it, right? I mean, it seems like in 1990 we probably weren't really leaning heavily into that yet. We were still pretty much dependent on radio.
1: Yeah, of course we had our longstanding shows like Faith for Today. Mm-hmm and it is written. Kind of an interesting thing is that we, we as Adventists, at least in the past, the way past, like 1950s, mm-hmm. were right on the cutting edge. 1951, William Fagel decides to, hey, I mean, television's been out for two years. And he mm-hmm. says, somebody should do a mm-hmm. television show and talk about things for God's kingdom, and I'm going to do it. And he named it Faith for Today, and he had there was a little dramatic segment on every episode, a little drama. It wasn't mm-hmm. very well acted, you know, but it was a little drama. And then he would, that would illustrate the point. And then he would mm. talk. And this went national. So it was actually the first national Christian television show ever. And huh. then It Is Written followed after that. We were also leaders in radio with Voice of Prophecy. So we were pretty, as a group of people, we were pretty, hey, here's some technology. We should use this. Mm-hmm but somewhere along the way i don't know exactly where probably right. in the 80s we just kind of fell behind
0: that's really interesting you know i thought i've thought about that not so much from the tv side cuz i i'm not as familiar with that but i've heard a lot about like hms richards and and the radio production yes. side and it and it, it has struck me in the past that that we historically have like you said sought to be out at the forefront to really leveraging these new opportunities and then s- somewhere along the way through my life, it's like, it's almost like an afterthought. It's all, you know, and I, you know, the production quality is, is low and, and, you know, it, it probably mattered at the beginning, but not as much. Cause at that point it was just like, Whoa, there's somebody in that box, you know, but now with production quality being what it is, and we're competing with all of the messages it seems like that's just so much more critical to the reception of what we have to say than it's ever been. But it still feels like in a lot of ways, we're not quite really keeping up. Like, why do you think, I mean, is there anything you can kind of point to say, this is This is where you feel like the struggle is rooted in kind of our structure or organization or our our, you know, theology that keeps us from wanting to just embrace this and like really grab a hold of it and leverage it for the gospel.
1: Yeah, I think about it a lot, and I don't know if I have all the answers. Mm -hmm. In fact, I just finished a dissertation called Seventh-day Adventists in the Movies, which looked at where we've been historically Mm -hmm. since the moment moving images happened. Mm -hmm. You know, what did we say about it? And then I also interviewed 36 current Seventh-day Adventists about their views and beliefs and practices and mm-hmm. everything related to visual media. So I've, I really have thought about this a lot and maybe have some ideas, some clues, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's totally answered. Uh, I, <clears throat> I, I did figure something out. We, we realized early on with visual media that it, that it was very powerful and I'm going to use the word alluring, which has mm-hmm. some color to it. I, there's some connotation mm-hmm. to that word. That might have felt negative. So in the very beginning, there were a lot of warnings, and not just from Seventh-day Adventists, but from Methodists and many other mainline Christians. Mm-hmm. Lots of warnings about, let's not get ourselves into the Nickelodeon watching these trashy right. little movies. you know, And they kind of were trashy little movies, frankly. Right. And even during the 1920s, there was some there was nudity in you know moving pictures and a number of things that I, I'm sure a lot of sort of quotes good people of society mm-hmm. felt like mm, maybe not right so uh, there were there were those concerns early on with a lot of people including seventh Adventists. and we were quite clear about our warnings um we had a and we had an an editor of the church paper called, at the time, The Advent Review and Sabbath Herald, which is now The Adventist Review, read by everybody. And um, Francis M. Wilcox was the editor for 33 years of that paper starting in 1911. And he, he had a number of editorials that were really pretty dogmatic about what we won't do mm-hmm. and where we won't go. And I think that the, even the Protestant work ethic kind of plays into this. Like whatever we do should be industrious. Mm -hmm. We should be doing something good for God's kingdom. We should be making the best use of our time possible, and that's certainly not alone for Adventists. Certainly, a Protestant work ethic kind of approach. And so there was this feeling of you know wasting your time, relaxing with movies and Mm -hmm. visual storytelling. And I think that I think I know this from the interviews that Mm -hmm. I did. That idea is not gone. Right? People still. Have people on a broad spectrum. I interviewed people who said they were conservative, traditional, people who said they were moderate, people who said they were progressive, and I had an even number of those. Mm-hmm. And all of them, in one way or another, you know, would make some comment. Even those who considered themselves very progressive mm-hmm. would make some comment here or there about. I don't watch this kind of thing because or I feel guilty when I Mm -hmm. watch these kinds of things because they're just really a waste of time or whatever. So I think that that kind of has played into our sometimes our hesitancy to embrace the media for good, especially telling really engaging good stories with it. We've been hesitant to let the power of it even work for good. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how else to say that. Like, yeah. We haven't invested the money to tell a story so beautifully that people can't resist it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Because we, we kind of feel a little bit wary about a story that would be so beautiful that you can't resist it. Yeah. I, there's a little element of that.
0: Yeah. I, I've seen that, Uh, you know, in my background working in public evangelism, like one of the things that really started to strike me a few years ago is, um, you know, there's kind of a resistance to modern music, right? And and the argument for that is um, we don't want to trade on emotion. You know, this music creates an emotional response, and so we want to be wary of modern music. But old music's okay.
1: Well, old music plays on emotions too. All all, all music, music all does. art
0: plays on emotion. It, it does. doesn't matter whether it's a drawing or a painting or music or a movie. It's all trading on emotion. But then we'll sing a hymn at the end of a meeting while making an appeal, trying to elicit elicit an emotional response to Absolutely. to do what we're asking them to do. And it it just occurred to me uh all of a sudden one day, like this is totally hypocritical to be like this, you know, on this reason we're gonna we're gonna shun, you know, what we don't agree with, but we're gonna embrace it for the same reason and then we're gonna say it's a technicality of the difference between old music and new music, that that's why it's so bad. And there's people that do whole seminars on that. And it's like, okay, let's let's step back for a minute and kind of look at the world that we're existing in. And at the end of the day, if no one will listen to the presentation of the gospel, then no one will hear the gospel, right? And so when we're trying to use whatever medium it is to communicate this, there has to be, in my mind, at least this acceptance of the reality that it has to be communicated in the language, just like we don't go to Africa and speak English and expect, you know, the Aborigines to know, learn English before we'll communicate. We go learn their dialect so that we can communicate to them. And it's the same thing in Western culture, but we, we've just kind of demonized it to the point that, you know,
1: and we, we do have to figure out how to speak the language of now. And if we don't figure that out, Nobody can hear us. And it's an interesting time because we have more tools available to us for less expense than ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone can, can record something in 4K. Mm-hmm. Really, it's just not that expensive. Right. You know, anybody can do it. And it looks absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. But at the same time, we also have a world where it, is, it has never been more difficult to get someone's attention. Because long ago, we had three networks, you know, and if you produced a program that got on one of those three networks, you were guaranteed a pretty good audience, Mm -hmm. a decent size audience was going to see what you were doing. But it took so much money and so many resources to even get something you could put on that network and so much luck or whatever, you know, that Mm -hmm. you even connected with the right people that you could even be one of the few people who had a voice Mm -hmm. in this country. And now everyone can have a voice. You have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Anybody can have a podcast, really. Yeah. So your challenge isn't can I get the resources together? Can I talk someone into giving me airtime? That's not your challenge. Yeah. Your challenge is how do I create content that is going to grab people's attention out of this gargantuan milieu of information that's yeah. out there. So it's it's really I don't know if it's better or worse. I haven't decided. Yeah. You know, it's just a different challenge and we we haven't really we haven't met that challenge very well. I I think as a Christian community in general, and certainly, um, you know, my own faith tradition, Mm -hmm. Seventh-day Adventist church, we have, we're meeting it less well than we used to, Mm -hmm. I think. And we do have the, I, it's difficult to get away from these concerns. I mean, I feel them myself. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a traditional person myself. Um, I, I enjoy a lot of traditional music, a lot of, classical music. I it's where my natural it's what I like, I guess, right. you know. Yeah. And and I'm I'm kind of traditional in a lot of ways. But yet here I'm working in this field that is often right on the edge, mm-hmm. you know, where we're we're grappling with we're thinking about what's right, what's appropriate, what kind of stories can speak for the gospel and how can we say that and do that in a way that will catch people's attention and so for i would say that i'm probably a conflicted person mm-hmm. sometimes just trying to to think myself you know probably why i did a dissertation asking mm-hmm. all these questions you know yeah. but trying to figure out how how do we talk to this culture and not compromise something that would actually be important yeah. and trying to figure out <laughs> what what those things are
0: well those aren't questions that are unique to us as christians trying to figure out how to use this medium for that i mean these are questions i've been involved with a group in in Coeur d'Alene um, that is just entrepreneurs and they're working in ai and robotics and yes. they'll get together and they'll talk and they start talking about the moral implications of how artificial intelligence is going to impact and how virtual reality is going to impact and how augmented reality and and i think that that there's almost like this idea in the church at least how it's kind of seemed to me over the years is that, well, if there's any potential, like if we feel any tension at all, that it might be bad, let's just throw it out. Let's not do that work to really sort through whether this is good or not good or the societal implications or the cultural implications for our church or for Christians in general. But that's where we grow. That's where we really learn how to use it. when we sit into that tension and say, okay, there's potential here. We have to sort through it and figure out how we're going to use this ethically, you know, based on you know our morals, our ethics, our standards of what we believe is you know good and true and right for society, for the world, for the church. Yes. Everybody's doing that. We seem to skip that. We're just like, ooh, that might be bad. So let's just. Or... And we
1: really do need to do that work. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree with you, and and that is certainly what I've studied historically. That is the way. For instance. When World War One happened, for anybody who's kind of a history buff I was a history minor, so this is interesting mm-hmm. stuff for me, but when World War One took place, the world changed very dramatically. Technology changed during the war, the way people fought, the way they dressed, what they did, how they acted in society, all changed in a few short years. Mm-hmm. And the world the Victorian world or Edwardian world that it was really Edward Edwardian, but that that went into World War One was not the same thing we had, you know, three, four years later, mm-hmm. it was different. And there were actually, there's an article by F.M. Wilcox in those, you know, 1920 something, early 20s, where a, a person actually writes into him in the Adventist Review, Re, Advent Review and Sabbath Herald saying, hasn't the war changed the way we look at a lot of things in society? What are we gonna do now? You know, They're talking about movies. Mm-hmm. Movies are everywhere. The whole way society responds to everything is different than it was before the war, mm-hmm. as they're calling it. What do we do with that? And instead of thoughtfully grappling with that, the answer that comes back from F.M. Wilcox is, God has not changed, mm-hmm. period. So there's no, there's no effort to say, you know what, you're right. Like The whole world we're living in, the technologies we have, the social norms, everything we have is different. How are we going to live in this society with Christian principle and how are we going to do that yeah. now? That's, that's just not there. Okay. And I, I think we have been like, that's just an example from way back, but I think that the same thing happened in the 1960s. We just went through the 60s with blinders on, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, and now... When we're in the era of, like you're saying, artificial intelligence, well, smartphones and this as a starter, but right. artificial intelligence and virtual reality and all those things, we're not we're not really addressing. Okay, so mm-hmm. now what? Because this is our reality. Yeah. How are we going to live with it?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, <laughs> not not to go off too much into it, but you know, I was sitting in a, in a conference and listening to, uh, Robert Scoble. He's this big futurist guy. And he was saying that he has literally gone to conferences in VR. So he's like, he's like, imagine that you're in this room, but you're at home and you just have a VR headset on and we're all sitting here having these conversations that you and I are having right now in real time. I've done that in virtual reality. Yes. And the implications of that for the church are tremendous, but we're still investing money in, uh, and antiquated methods of evangelism and messaging that were developed in you know, the last time we really had innovation was like in the forties and fifties. And then we mm-hmm. just still kinda of held on to that and we refused to move into the into the future. You know, if you think about I bet for what we invest in a single general conference, we could invest into v r and you know by twenty twenty five we could have the general conference without having to rent a stadium and spend millions and millions of dollars yes but we but we just don't want to think there's there's just this resistance to think that. Far into the yeah, future. even
1: I'm resisting right now because I'm thinking, yeah, but then I can't go there and just hang with those people like in yeah. person with their body there and go to lunch with them. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> that is true. There's something to that, not to say that it, you know, that we need to strip out those human interactions, but just the idea that we could probably do this a little more cost efficiently. I know the
1: other side, I'm like, I don't want to be like Wally. You've yeah. seen Wally, the movie?
0: No, oh, my well, wife loves it, but i it. It's a great futuristic story
1: yeah. <laughs> where they, these people in their little hovercraft with mm-hmm. their screens, actually accidentally mm-hmm. bump into each other and their skin touches. Yeah. And they're like, <gasps> okay. you know, Yeah. How? So
0: kind of the same premise Whoa. as like ready player one, where everyone just kind of in their, they're in real world, but they go hang out virtual. Yeah. So, and that's no, a no, concern. No, and, right. Right. and that's what, I, I that's I what people are talking about too, is like, how do we balance that? Because yes. if we lose that human interaction, we lose that one-to-one contact. Um, we don't want to lose that, obviously. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's bad for society. If if I no longer have to deal with you as a tactile, flesh and blood human being, we've gone way off topic now, but then I'm going to stop respecting your life. Oh, but it's a topic I'm even, very interested in, so yeah. it's okay. Um, have, <laughs> uh,
1: you, have you read Sherry Turkle's book? Um, it's called Alone Together. Mm-mm. Well, that's just to say, yes, yeah. people are thinking about these things. She yeah. has a fantastic book called Alone Together, Why We Expect More of Technology and Less of Each Other. Mm-hmm. And she works at MIT In the robotics department, Mm -hmm. you know, so this is a person who's, who's just grappling with those kind of things. Like how do we use this for the best for society and not lose who we are as humans? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's really the thing, right? Because those future problems that we're starting to have now are, are not dissimilar to the same conversations that we were having in the fifties as TV was coming out and we're trying to decide. And so like, so right now we're talking about film and, and film's probably not going away, but the whole idea is, is what's our mindset going to be on how we're going to speak into the culture of tomorrow? Because today's, mm-hmm. today's over. Yes. You know, we, yes. if we're not thinking about five years from now, we're, we're just going to get left behind. One of the things that, that I, when I look at the Adventist media content world, I feel like one of the areas that we really struggle is we're very inclined to just record a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um and and you know, I And there are a few preachers
1: is, who can pull that off, just a few.
0: Yeah. And but, <laughs> not very many. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's the same it's the same content regurgitated by different people and on a different set, on a different stage. Maybe they're sitting in a desk, maybe they're sitting in a chair, maybe they're preaching in a church, but it's the content doesn't change in its in its structure. And then it's just regurgitated and the cameras get a little better and we get a little bit better at lighting, but it feels like we're missing a whole segment of what we could be tapping into to tell the story because of our resistance to going into fictional storytelling and using that as a, a medium to communicate, you know, truths.
1: So don't use the word fictional; as a parable. Okay. <laughs> <No>. But <laughs> well, speaking truth is sometimes from a true story, and speaking truth is sometimes from a story that is filled with truth. Mm-hmm. I'm going kind of going in a circle there, but yeah. so sometimes the they might be like parables are, where it mm-hmm. might not be an actual thing that happened. It could be in a world that doesn't exist where you've put this setting, you yeah. know, fantasy like, world. Like Lazarus um, dipping
0: his finger and yeah, putting like a drop that, on like Abraham's story, Yeah, like that story, which still drives us crazy to this day <laughs> <laughs> when, we, yeah. when
1: we read it in the Gospels. But uh, yeah, so we have been resistant to that. We We've even been resistant to telling the best and greatest stories about people we know and real things they did mm-hmm. using... This this format. We've written a lot of interesting books mm-hmm. about these people. Biographies and I love biography. It has something to do with my love for history too. I Love mm-hmm. reading the stories of people and their lives and but why aren't we making those stories into
0: Hacksaw Ridge.
1: Yeah, why yeah, yeah why aren't we? Because <laughs> yeah. we didn't. Yeah. You know, we as a group didn't make that right. that story, but that was certainly a story worth telling. Right. And has made a great
0: impact. So how so let's let's Go off on that rabbit trail for a little bit because one of the things that I think is really interesting. My wife grew up completely—I wouldn't say separated—but she did not. She definitely didn't get into movies that contained violence, so she's Mm -hmm. very sensitive to that, and that's Mm -hmm. a rebuke to me because I can, you know, I grew up uh, watching whatever I wanted, uh, and and it doesn't phase me at all. So if she sees someone, even in like a PG movie where they land the punch, but there's no. There's no bruising, there's no blood, there's no, you know, graphic mm-hmm. depiction of that. Um, she can't watch that. Yeah. And that's probably, honestly, that's a, I, I see that as a good thing. Yes. Um, I recognize that I've been desensitized to violence. But yes. at the same time, when I watch a movie like Hacksaw Ridge, hmm. that depiction of violence adds to the, because re- cause we could, you know, that was what he was going through. Yes. You know, we can say that it's not good to watch that, but he had to live through that. Millions of soldiers had to live through that, and so it presents this opportunity for empathy. And I, and I, you know, I struggle with that because I think that it's important to recognize the realities of the world and not the the Hollywood version of what these atrocities look like. But at the same time, wanting to keep that sensitivity, and you know, but but I, it, I, need, it feels like it needs to be there. So
1: I'm I'm a bit like your wife, not quite as extreme, probably, but I. I don't enjoy violence. I don't like seeing it. Mm-hmm. It it's really difficult me for me and I very much wanted to see Hacksaw Ridge and mm-hmm. did at a preview before it was even released mm-hmm. at a at a church conference that I was at. And we were watching it on a huge screen in a very small room. So I was extremely close to the screen. I mm-hmm. sat in the back row to not be as close, but it was still overwhelming. It was you know filling every area that I could any direction mm-hmm. I could look, you know. And I have never been exposed to anything that violent. For instance, I've never watched Schindler's List all the way through because mm-hmm. it just was hard. Mm-hmm. So, I said to, you know, my husband, you watch the rest and I'll, you know, I've picked up a few scenes here and there, but right. I just haven't watched it. And so for me, I realized I was going to be throwing myself you know, into something I probably wasn't prepared for. And I almost had to get up and leave to throw up, literally, mm-hmm. because I'm just not used to those kind of portrayals. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was wrong for them to be in the story, though. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I agree with you on that. The, the difference for me is that I've seen Hacksaw Ridge three times, but I've never purchased it. -hmm. For myself to sort of have and pull out when I want to watch it. Right. Whereas every other movie that has impacted me spiritually at the level that that film did, I own. Oh, that's not true. I don't own The Passion of the Christ either Mm -hmm. for the same reason. Right. That also impacted me uh, spiritually, but I don't ever want to see it again. Mm -hmm. Hacksaw Ridge, uh, I've just been exposed to it a few times because it's been around as a piece of conversation, right. you know, with a lot of people within our within our church, obviously mm-hmm. telling the story of Desmond Doss, but I don't own it. Mm-hmm. And that's just because it's too hard. It's too hard for me to see that. It's yeah. too difficult. And I do think that that is a biblical principle, actually. Um, I'm going to forget where the verse is because I'm terrible about these things, but... No. I think it's in Isaiah, and it's like who can who can stand with the refining fire? Who can, in other words, who can hang out with God? Mm-hmm. Who's sinless?
0: Right? Who can do that? Yeah.
1: And then the answer: There's a number of things. People who don't take bribes. It's about people treating each other well. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who can stand with the refining fire and not be burned up. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is the person who turns their eyes away from seeing evil and violence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's actually a I don't think violence is entertainment. That's right. what I'm saying. Yeah, It's not supposed to be for fun. Mm-hmm. And I think we see evidence, pretty good evidence in society, that when we embrace it as fun through gaming or films, it doesn't turn out very well, at least for certain elements mm-hmm. of society. It doesn't turn out very well. It's it's not that good. So I, it's an interesting thing for me to kind of work through I would agree that I think it belongs in the story with Hacksaw Ridge. I think there are instances where violence is very important to the story. Mm-hmm. We have to understand it in the context of that story. It helps us to have empathy, like you mentioned. It helps us to understand it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't understand it if we didn't see it. And we see that in stories mm-hmm. in the Old Testament as well. Right. There's a lot of violence mm-hmm. um, in the Bible. Yeah. And it's part of a story with a, with a purpose. But this idea of I just like, yeah, I just like I a just violent like film. violent yeah. stuff. I I, it, I like how it makes me feel or whatever, you know. That, right. Like that that makes me feel pretty uncomfortable. Yeah, I think we should feel uncomfortable with violence.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I I agree with that. I think that, you know, part of you know part of for me, I know that I'm desensitized, but there's still, and maybe you know, it could be it could go both ways. It could be an indictment on modern filmmaking, that it has gotten to this point that it is so graphic uh, and an indictment on me that it takes that level of graphic (laughs) content to really elicit a reaction. Um, And that's not lost on me. But I do think that that one of the things that for me has really been, um, you know, insightful is reading those reactions in that uh, in those scenes of what it's causing me to feel what what would it take for a human to want to you know perpetrate those acts on another person? You know, you, you, we read the history of like World War II, mm-hmm. and we don't get the full measure of how um, violent the war was from every side. Yes. You know, and not not to just say like, it, but the Japanese were ruthless. You know, but yes. we're over there destroying whole towns, and that yes. is war. And if and now that we're separated from that. Story, And we only get it in the pages of a book and a few still pictures, which, you know, I saw a picture of um, the first Holocaust camp. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's just these Jews just wandering around. They're basically skeletons with skin and they're yeah. just wandering in a yard. It looked like a scene from a zombie movie. And it's, you know, it it elicited a very strong response in me. But at some point, you know, we need to leverage to communicate that emotion and not to say that to kind of bring it back now a little bit, you know, not to say that we need to include that, but how do we, you know, where do you see the, the balance point for that for us as a church, if we're going to start creating, um, you know, parables to put on film, how do we balance that realism versus being, being cognizant of, you know, youth growing up and not desensitizing them understanding that they're probably getting exposed to like, you know, there's this kind of like awkward kind of thing happening where we want to be sensitive, but they're seeing worse than that. So can we push that envelope? Should we push that envelope a little bit to communicate what we're trying to get across?
1: I think we are going to have to realize that different media projects that we do and different films that we do are for different audiences Mm -hmm. and that everything can't be for everyone. That's one place that I don't think we've done well. Mm-hmm. We've thought, well, if I don't personally like it, then we shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. We really think that way. Yeah. And I'm I'm going to give a real example of this, and some people <laughs> hear this will love what I'm saying, and some right. will hate what I'm saying. Yeah. But uh, the church paid, used their money to have yep. us make something called the record
0: keeper, uh-huh.
1: which is. It's just a different telling of the Great Controversy mm-hmm. story. It's clearly the Great Controversy story, but it's told in steampunk.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: is not for everybody, okay? Mm-hmm.
0: It's definitely, it's not for most Adventists, right? No, steampunk is not for everybody. Yeah. It's
1: not for a lot of people. I don't even like it because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to talk. This doesn't even have anything to do with spiritual conviction. Right. I'm not a huge fantasy fan. I, right. I'm just not. It's mm-hmm. not my thing. I love historical period piece stuff. Mm-hmm. I love that. Do I love fantasy, science fiction? Never have. Mm-hmm. It's not my thing. But it is the thing for a lot of people. It is the thing for a lot of people we're trying to say something to. right? So we, I think we have to get beyond this idea of we can't have it because it doesn't appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And back in the days when this record keeper was first being, well, it was never really released, but right. it came out on YouTube and then it was being removed from YouTube as fast as it could get out there by... Yeah whoever was trying to get it removed. And I remember staying up till 2 a.m. Not my normal habit. Right. I'm kind of a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a morning person. I'm not a late night person. Uh, my husband and I watching the entire thing in its 11 minute segments mm-hmm. on YouTube before it was going to be gone the next morning, yeah. which it was, you know, yeah. at that point, I know you can find it now. And I, I, I actually have bootleg
0: have, copies. Yeah.
1: I have a copy on Blu-ray. <laughs> so, uh, so I have it and I watched that thing. And when it was over, I, I basically said, that was totally not my genre. Mm-hmm. This was not my thing. But I hung with it to see how it was going to tell the story that is mm-hmm. my thing. Right. The story that is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I was moved by a number of scenes in there that mm-hmm. showed me something about the great controversy story or a new aspect of it or a new way to look at it that I had never had before. hmm so could I have lived my whole life without the record keeper? yeah, would my spiritual mm-hmm. life be well and alive it would, but it but I have to say mm-hmm. even though it's totally not my natural liking, I learned something from mm-hmm. it I was moved I saw something about God and who he is that I didn't see that way before right and I personally, I think we made a mistake not to let not to let yeah. that go out there yeah. and speak to the people to whom it would speak.
0: Yeah. Some of the, you know, the, the, what really got me, and and I actually talked about this on last week's episode, so I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm glad you did because I think it's important to the conversation. It, you know, like we forget that series was not made for Adventists. Like no. the point of that series was not to entertain Adventists. Not at it all. It was to capture the imagination and the attention of people who would never in their lives pick up a great controversy and read it. And what's interesting to me is there I had a friend um that I worked with, and I was talking to her about things, and we were talking about uh, you know, different items and different in time events. And so, um, She, we got to talk about The Great Controversy and she said she'd be interested in reading it. So I found the only copy that I could find on Amazon to order her and I ordered it and I brought it to her. And it was this little copy made by one of the independent publishing houses. And – the font goes right up to the edge of the page i mean it's like a quarter of an inch off the edge of the page margin all the way around it's, just not it's like readable. 8 point font and i gave it to her and she was so i mean we had had so many conversations she was super interested and then i gave her the book and she's like you know came back a couple of days she's like i what i what i've been able to read i love but i can't my eyes hurt after 5 minutes of reading so so we're shooting down anything that's packaged in an attractive way. But then what we're putting out that is accessible. Like to it,
1: be fair, there are better copies of The Great No, I know, I don't they know are, why you <laughs> find them.
0: Well, there wasn't an ABC nearby. <laughs> yes. And I have Prime and I didn't feel like ordering it from the ABC. And so I was just trying to get it to capture yeah, that moment. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are better. And I'm real excited about some of the stuff that's being done. But it's just like that particular copy is published by a group that was particularly outspoken against... The record keeper i know in yes, particular yes. and so it's like and you're realizing
1: people are not going to access it yeah, this way
0: yeah but uh, but the response you to that wouldn't is, read is you should,
1: it i wouldn't read it at absolutely. that size font no, yeah
0: but well but it's in their their response to that would be what's well, about the content it shouldn't be about the presentation it Should be about the content that's just stupid yeah yeah you know, that's because, not reality yeah it's not, but it's, it, it's kind of our thinking that it's the message, not the method in which the message is communicated. But
1: well, Marshall McLuhan said that the medium is the message mm. and that's overstating, obviously, mm-hmm. or we all know that all of us right. who study communication theory know that that's overstating, but it's overstating for a good reason. Mm-hmm. We must think about that. Yeah. The medium itself is really, really important the environment in which you present whatever you're presenting mm-hmm. is super important. In fact, it can it can overwhelm whatever the message is. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I was thumbing through uh, some of the information you sent me about the program that you teach. And there was mm-hmm. something that, that really jumped out at me that I'm really interested to, to have you explain to me a little bit. And that was uh, this idea of media ecology and media environment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Since I since I'm not one of your students, what what is that? Teach me what that is because yeah. it seems really interesting to we me. We
1: all wish we knew. There's no there's no <laughs> there's no beautiful definition mm-hmm. yet. In fact, when I'm teaching this class and we talk about media literacy, media effects and media ecology in a mm-hmm. class called um, media I'm going to forget now because it's so similar to the name of the title, <laughs> Media Culture and yeah. Worldview. Yeah. Uh, in that class, um, we're looking at media ecology, which does really come out of McLuhan's statement mm-hmm. about the medium is the message, mm-hmm. that he's you know, one of the great thinkers about this idea. There's a number of different definitions, which I didn't bring with me, so I can't you mm-hmm. know, read any of them to you. But the idea is this, the environment, the media environment itself is a thing. So, we're talking about media ecology. We're talking about ecosystems of media, really. Mm-hmm. So, th- the medium itself changes the way we live. It's not just about the content. Now, content is always important. We always talk and talk and talk and talk when we teach these things. It's mm-hmm. about story, it's about the message, it's about the narrative. You know, if you don't know what that is and why are you making something, Mm -hmm. you know, you you have to know what it is. I was just telling my students that this morning. So that's really important, but we can't ignore those environments. For instance, you know, starting in about 2007, the world for us with media changed very dramatically with smartphones, the iPhone. The way we live with our media is radically different than what we did before that Mm -hmm. and that immediate ecology would study those things so who are we as people how have we changed as humans because of the technologies that we're using and we can say this about other technologies in the Mm -hmm. past you know television changed the way we lived Mm -hmm. we'll we'll just totally never be the same right you know it just changed who, who we are how we live what we do what we how we think about things we are now informed about how we should think about various topics so much through various kinds of media. The internet, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is another one. Mm-hmm. Radical change in how we live, how we gather information. The way we relate with each other, it even changes the way our brains work. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a book called The Shallows, which is, was some required reading in my mm-hmm. studies in the past, but it really has to do with the hyperlink itself, mm-hmm. you know, the whole idea that you can click from one place to another place and go deeper and go over to this or maybe not deeper but mm-hmm. um, you can just go you know you you start reading a story and then there's a hyperlink to something else oh i'm interested in that and you mm-hmm. go off on that rabbit trail and right. do, 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 do.
0: Yeah. and, and you're they've watching actually watching cat videos on youtube yeah pretty yeah. soon <laughs> right and you're like oh man i start out studying something
1: important here mm-hmm. <laughs> but so that that is actually they've measured you know it our brains actually process differently than we did before we're mm-hmm. This is the sad part about it. We, we have a harder time slowing down and thinking deeply about any one topic. Mm-hmm. And largely due to access to information, you know, ding, ding, through hyperlinking. Right. So media ecology is looking at that stuff. You know, so this is our environment. This is our media environment, virtual reality. We know whatever it is, whatever is the newest thing coming up. Mm-hmm. That's what we live with now. How will that change how we treat each other, how we interact with each other, what we think about, how we think about it, and it's the the tool itself having an impact, not just the content on the tool. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's that's kind of what I was thinking. I was just thinking when you're talking about like, you know, there's there's whole companies that have come and gone because they missed this thing. You know, I mean, Microsoft. Yes. I mean, I mean, it had its business side, but its consumer side because they missed the role that. Internet was going to play, and they missed the role that that smartphones were going to play. Mm-hmm. they really found themselves in a predicament because they had misgaged the the influences that were happening in the ecology of their yes. part of the world and and have they've had to climb back from that mm-hmm. and uh, and I would you know anyway, not to go off, but I would think apple's kind of starting to go that path they 've gotten too much into their own, and they 're not looking at you know the future in the same way, and yes, and it, so, ca-
1: it can happen to any company. It really can. Even the one that's been on the leading edge. Yeah. It has. We've seen it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's, and that's going back to what we were talking about before is that it can happen to a church. Yeah. We have to be thinking in the future. Exactly. We can, we can get stuck and become totally irrelevant to the culture because we refuse to accept the changes that are happening. Yes. Right. Yeah. So what is, what's your, what's your big hope for students that come through your program here at Walla Walla? What what is the, what's the big hope of what the net result will be as students come through this? What, what's the goal that you're trying to achieve? What's the vision you're casting these students on how they can have a role in the church using these skills for film that they're developing here and that they've been developing through their, their life as they come to here? What are you trying to, to get to with them?
1: We are really trying to inspire them to do something visionary and entrepreneurial, and I don't even know what it's going to be. That's kind mm-hmm. of the perspective that we're taking. We're trying to give them the foundation. This is you know, cinema, religion, and worldview in those three terms. <clears throat> try to describe, you know, we're talking about visual media. We mm-hmm. chose the word cinema because it's kind of a beautiful word. Mm-hmm. It just sounded better than visual media mm-hmm. or, you know, or whatever else you could come up with that. Right. And uh, then the religion that certainly the... Deep foundational the Christian mission, the foundational theology that that drives who we are and what we would want to communicate, those things. And then we've combined with that worldview, looking at how different cultures, different people groups within or without North America, but even within North America, you know, how to how do people think about things and how do we speak to those cultures and those worldviews? So we tried to bring all that stuff together and, and we give some practical tools in some of the classes that we teach really like, you know, if you're filmmaking basics and, you know, how do you get in there with the tools and use them? So we have some of that, which is not that common in a master's degree, but Mm -hmm. we, we do that, but we're really, really looking at philosophy, at theory, at mission behind what you're doing. And we're, we're trying to, we're trying to give students who are in this master's program the tools that they need, the ways of thinking that they need to actually go out and do something nobody's done before. Mm-hmm. And it's an, it's an awkward place to be in a sense because, you know, a lot of schools really like to you know, they like to say, well, if you get this master's in social work, you know, you're going to get this better job and you'll be paid this much more. You know, we have a great master's mm-hmm. in social work program and they can make those kind of promises. Cinema religion and worldview, we we don't we can't really make those kind of promises like, mm-hmm. hey, if you get this degree, you're gonna have X job, right. you know, working for the church or for somebody else and and it's just gonna be great for you, you're gonna make a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Instead, we're really talking to people who feel a calling that they cannot deny. It's a passion. It's a I love these tools, I love this way of telling stories. Mm-hmm and i love god and i want to do something for his kingdom how am i going to put those two things together right. and that's really what this is about bringing those together and we we tell our students straight up you we hope we pray you're going to go out and do the next big thing that's on the edge that your professors may not even know what that is mm-hmm. you know we'll try to prepare you for you know what's coming new especially jerry hartman really tries to talk about new technologies uh in his one of his classes, where he's talking about how we do things for interactive media, mm-hmm. he's always trying to look at you know what's the latest and and give them some exposure to whatever those things are and then of course, we try to teach the foundational things that sort of never change mm-hmm. the, about great storytelling right. how you structure it, um the elements that you want to put together, and the theory and the and some theories about how society, change how change happens in society, mm-hmm. how we elicit change, like um, Bandura's theory of social learning, how we emulate what we see, and that works really well in visual mm-hmm. media. So we try to give those tools, and then we, we really are expecting our graduates to be on the cutting edge, and they are going to be facing the challenges of being the people within the church who are doing the new thing. Mm-hmm. And our grad, we just we're just graduating our first people, so mm-hmm. we're just seeing what they're you know ending okay. up doing. We have one that's working, um, doing some consulting for a couple of large churches in Florida, mm-hmm. and that's great. We we've got one who's a pastor who's going to use these tools in his ministry. He just didn't have the tools before, mm-hmm. and we'll see you know what he does with that. And we have a graduate who's. Doing productions and doing some for North American division now, and I think we'll really, mm-hmm. we'll really make an impact yeah. and a difference. So, you know, it's yeah. kind of we're 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 just seeing the first results of that, and we kind of see where they go. Mm-hmm. But the idea is, we're not going to do everything the way we always did, and we're we're trying to get get our graduates to think in new ways.
0: Yeah, has there been any like, concern expressed or anybody thinking about the fact of, like, what happened with the record keeper and, you know, students coming through this wanting to push the boundaries but feeling like, almost yeah. like they can't? Like, have, have y'all talked about that? Do y'all that talk about that? conversation
1: has the- come up. Mm-hmm. Um, we... I heard even more about it because it was happening when I was teaching at Southern Adventist Mm -hmm. University and some of the students there worked on the project. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, I'm going to call it agony, really, Mm -hmm. kind of about how that turned out. So there hasn't been as much of that raw emotion feeling with the students we've had here or the ones. And we have students. It's an online program. So we have students Mm -hmm. from all over the world. And so there there hasn't been that closeness to it Mm -hmm. in that sense. But I think that there's a feel for that. There's a concern for that. But also the students in our program are for the most part we have one student in the program now who just graduated from undergrad and went straight into the graduate program but most of them are older not mm-hmm. old old but right. you know yeah. they they have some work behind them they have some maturity behind them already before they come and I think that they for the most part tend to kind be the kind of people who don't let themselves be too worried about that mm-hmm. they feel like they're they're going to do something, and it doesn't have to necessarily be sponsored by the official church mm. for them to do something that will make a difference.
0: Yeah, that's the big change that's that I think that the church is not prepared for is that because now it is accessible, I can decide that I want to speak into our culture of leadership and go on YouTube and learn how to create a podcast and do it. Yes, and not have to have. Any approval or validation, and then I can build an audience, and I can, yes, uh, you know, grow this this podcast and have a voice into what we're doing. And there's there's dozens and dozens of podcasts now, and and with you know Justin Koo on YouTube and setting that that yeah that Christian standard vlogger. that we mm-hmm. can we can go onto YouTube and we can have a compelling story to tell that doesn't require us to get any approval to do it. And it's going to change. And humans of
1: Adventism too. yeah. Um And there's a lot of other examples, yeah. but I think we have a number of generally younger, mm-hmm. you know, individuals who are, but not all younger. Cause I'm yeah. thinking of people like Ty Gibson, who's done yeah. some things that he's not younger. You yeah. know? <laughs> he's older than me, I think, but he, yeah. you know, he, he's he done some, He's he's all about the story. He mm-hmm. has a church now called Storyline Church that yeah. he preaches at, and he's got these videos yeah. online that are, you know, doing things in a in a different way. Uh, Digma, I think it's called. So, I think they're just creative people who are doing it. They're just mm-hmm. doing it. They're and it's out there, and they are, and they're building an audience. And the interesting thing that I saw when I was at the Communication Advisory at the North Pacific Union Conference just a few days ago, was that there's an embracing now by the official church of people who are doing these things well?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Caleb Isley with Humans of Adventism yeah, is now he was a consultant. The, for yeah, and he Oregon was at that Conference. meeting. Yeah,
1: and Justin Koo was at that meeting too. Yeah. So I think I think that there there are leaders. Not everyone, but mm-hmm. there are certainly leaders within the structured church mm-hmm. who get it, who recognize it at least when they see it, If they didn't, even if they didn't know how to make it happen. Right. They recognize it when they see mm-hmm. it and say, this is good. This is what we should be doing.
0: Yeah. Well, good. I think that's, uh, that's a good place to tie it up. Thank you so much for taking the time to Thank sit you, down Wes. with me. It was really great. Thank you. Well, I hope that conversation piqued your interest as much as it did mine. This program, the uh, Masters of Arts in Cinema, Religion, and Worldview, is really a fascinating program. Let me just share with you what some of the classes are. Um, Media, Culture, and Worldview is one of the classes. Spiritual and Social Influence through Media. This program is not just exclusively about being a filmmaker. In fact, a number of their students are graphic designers or communicators that don't exclusively use film, although a number are. They're they're simply people who want to to understand better how to communicate and have an influence through their communication in the world that they're speaking into. And so, super great program. If you're interested at all about developing your storytelling ability to to learn how to better utilize visual storytelling, if you just wanna learn how to develop your filmmaking skills so that you can expand your reach, like that's part of this program. Um, or if you just want to learn how to tell more meaningful stories. I mean, that's, that's really it, stories are what move the world. This program might be something you want to look into. Um, it's a two-year program, it's a hybrid program, so you don't actually have to move to Walla Walla, although it's gorgeous there, and the campus is beautiful. You can stay where you're at, and there's a trip each year. It's two weeks that you spend on campus. The rest of the time, it's all online. You're working uh, on your degree program while you're at home, while you're working, expanding your knowledge, learning more without having to uproot your life and go there. So applications are open right now for their next cohort that begins in the middle of June. And so you can apply for that summer 2019 cohort. And if you do that right now, they're actually waiving your application fee. And so even if you're not 100% sure right now, you want to get in on that because the application fee will be waived. And just because you apply doesn't mean you have to go. So if you're thinking you might want to go, save that money and Get in line for the class. Um, I think it's a wonderful program. You can find out more about the program at www.film4him.org. called. right. Well, next week we'll have another faculty member from the program, uh, Dr. Paul Dibdahl. He's a professor of mission at Walla Walla University, a missiologist, uh, I think is what his technical term is. So I was really excited to get to talk to him and, and I had a ton of fun in that conversation. So make sure you tune in next week. As always, any graphic design needs that you have, get with Andrew over at 42design.co. I'm so excited to see the different people that are tapping into him and hear the stories of how excited they are about the work that he's done for him. And without question, the feedback I hear most often as people work with Andrew and then it, they talk to me about their experience is they're just blown away with how quickly he is able to draw out exactly what they're looking for in the work that he does for him. He's got a great talent for that. Give him a try. If you have any graphic design needs, you won't be disappointed. 42 designco And I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I do really value feedback. I would love to hear from you about what you think about the show, about this episode. Leave me a comment on social media or a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, big news. Um, Some of you have been asking for it, and I finally stopped being lazy. And the podcast is now on Spotify. So if um, if you use Spotify, the West Vibe podcast is right there next to all your favorite music and podcasts on spotify so check it out there love to see you on spotify all right guys that's it see you next week thanks for listening to the west five podcast